Welcome to The Rancher's Voice, presented by the Montana Stocker Association. I'm Jay Bodner, MSGA's Executive Vice President. And I'm Rayleigh Honeycutt, Director of Natural Resources. Join us for conversations surrounding policy, the legislature, and issues that matter most to ranching families in Montana. Welcome to this week's episode. This week, we're going to highlight the BLM draft environmental assessment that they just released on July 1st, dealing with the American Prairie Reserve. We also are going to be talking about uh, some of the drought resources that are out there and available to uh, members and uh, to ranchers. And when lastly, we're going to be talking about our T-Bone Classic. So we're uh, looking forward to that great event and our signups are now open and we'll talk a little bit about uh, that in more detail. And as we kick off the month of July, we hope that you are all subscribed to The Rancher's Voice and following us on um, all of our social media accounts. We want to also remind you to make sure to like, share, and comment on each episode. Email questions to us at Kenny, K-E-N-I, at mtbeef.org. And recently released, we have text messaging services to update you all um, as news is uh, rolling out. So you can text BEEF, B-E-E-F, to 855-965-4006 and sign up for our text messaging service. So last week we did have the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, they released their draft environmental assessment on the American Prairie Reserve bison change of use uh, that was released on July 31st or July 1st uh, with a finding of no significant impact. Uh, they do propose to issue a 10-year grazing permit. Uh, this change does include a change of livestock from cattle to bison um, and included seven grazing allotments. Um, it does also allow for the removal of some interior fences and the, allows uh, some year-round grazing. Uh, this issue actually has been um, started about four years ago in 2017. Uh, In 2019, they did revise their proposal, did scale it back some. Um, But this is an issue that um, MSJ has followed very closely over actually the last 10 years and then been involved in in great detail. So this comment period does run from uh, July 1st to October 29th. And there is a virtual meeting that is planned on July 21st. Uh, We have been in uh, conversation with the governor's office, and I know that he has publicly requested uh, an extension to the comment period for 45 days. We've also followed that up with a a request um, to extend that out for 45 days. And uh, as we review that document, certainly this issue has been around for uh, as long as it has and as many years as it has, we don't think that that is an unreasonable request, certainly given uh, the challenges that many of our members and just ranchers in general are facing right now with drought conditions. And so that added a bit of a time to review that document certainly is warranted. Um, so we have just started to uh, review this document. We've been through it. Uh, we will go through it with a fine tooth comb. Um, But it is important, I think, to acknowledge that, um, and BLM acknowledged it previously, that, you know, this type of proposal will lead to uh, some increased riparian trampling. So those areas around those water uh, areas with year-round grazing. So we know that that can occur. Um, It does seem to be a step backwards in our grazing uh, program. Um, 
We know that um, certainly from a livestock perspective, we've worked to improve our grazing systems and and uh, this just seems to be a step backwards. So we will be going through this once again uh, in, in great detail. Um, and we can share those kind of thoughts with uh, you as members. It is important, I think, we'll be submitting our comments, as I man- mentioned, and we do encourage everyone else to review this document. And if you do have any questions, please just call the office and uh, we can walk you through kind of uh, some of the shortfalls that we see in this document. Uh, you can also just go to our website on our news feed and click on the take action now button and that'll lead you right to the BLM website where you can find all the documents. Uh, You can find um, the EA there and how to submit comments. So um, once again, just uh, contact us if you have any questions. This is a very important issue and I think it is critical that we all get our comments submitted uh, to make sure that uh, BLM knows how we feel about this, this issue. To move on to another issue that is top of mind for many of you across the state, as we look at uh, this being the first week in July, first full week in July, uh, our current state is designated, 80% of our state is designated currently um, as extreme or severe drought, which is very significant. Uh, The July forecast um, is projected to be lower than normal um, with a 40 to 50 percent chance of above normal temperatures in the state as well. Uh, Governor Gianforte issued an executive order um, in uh, the last week declaring a statewide drought emergency for Montana uh, and also in that order requested that the Department of Agriculture, Livestock, and DNRC provide maximum assistance to USDA for all drought-related activities. Uh, He also suspended uh, regular um, motor carrier regulations and persons operating motor vehicles um, that have direct impact um, on drought related support. And so um, those are steps in the right direction. But we also just wanted to highlight for you that are listening a few um, programs that you should be aware of as uh, folks start uh, looking at assistance for drought. So uh, the first one, um, the first category kind of all falls within USDA. Uh, They have a variety of different programs that are now available uh, for folks to uh, take advantage of as as you try to recover through this drought. Um, And so I'm just going to highlight a few of those uh, for your for you to take note of. Uh, Non-insured Crop Disaster Insurance Program, or NAP, uh, that program provides financial assistance to producers of non-insurable crops when low yields, uh, low inventory, and prevented uh, planting occurred due to drought. Uh, And so that um, is now available through FSA. Livestock Forage Disaster Program, uh, or LFP, provides compensation to eligible livestock producers who are suffering grazing losses for um, covered livestock due to drought on privately owned or cash leased lands. Uh, We also have the Livestock Indemnity Program, or LIP. Uh, This program offers payments to eligible producers of livestock deaths um, in excess of normal mortality due to adverse weather. Uh, 
there's also the emergency assistance lives or emergency assistance for livestock, honeybees, and farm-raised fish program or ELAP. Uh, that program provides emergency relief for losses due to feed and water storage, uh, disease, adverse weather, and other conditions related to drought or disaster. Uh, also, there are two. Um, other programs, one is the emergency loan program available for producers um, located in counties that are under this uh, drought disaster designation uh, with low interest loans for producers to recover from production or physical losses due to drought. And the last one is the emergency conservation program or ECP. Um, and that also provides funding to farmers and ranchers to rehabilitate their land uh, due to severe damage of natural disasters and droughts. Uh, all of these are, um, like I mentioned, FSA programs. You can call your uh, FSA office and get additional information or ask questions. And then from a state's uh, perspective, the, the Montana Department of Agriculture also has launched their hay hotline for the season. We know that hay um, pricing is already skyrocketing and com uh Commodities are very, and inventory is very low. Uh, so we encourage you to go on to the Department of Life or Department of Agriculture's Hay Hotline. Um, it's an online portal where producers can donate and buy and sell and post information about hay, um, and is a great resource for folks looking for um, feed. Yeah, great. And there are a lot of, we ran through those programs pretty quickly. And so once again, your local FSA office can help you with that. And we also do plan uh, through the office here to uh, provide some of those, that information out there to, uh, to ranchers. So if you uh, didn't catch all of those, uh, we'll, we'll put that out on print so you can uh, look through those programs and see if there's something that might be able to provide some assistance to you. Uh, just moving on, I'd like to talk a little bit about our T-Bone Classic. That is our uh, Montana Stock Grower Foundation uh, golf event. It's um, a number of years in the making. We're going to be in Billings uh, once again this year. And uh, so that's going to be August 25th and 26th. Uh, we'll have uh, a dinner and we'll have a Calcutta the evening of the 25th. So it's a great event. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be out at the Briarwood Golf uh, Course in Billings, Montana. Uh, and then so the golf tournament will be on the 26th. Uh, if you are interested in golfing for that, the teams are uh, $750 for a team. So put your team together. Uh, that includes dinner. Uh, your cart, lunch, and then the green fees. So all in one, uh, it's a it's a great opportunity to come have some fun and and uh, also have a great course to golf on. If you do want to bring somebody extra, uh, the extra gala tickets are fifty dollars. So uh, feel free to just um, sign up for that. If you have an extra person that just wants to come enjoy a great dinner but doesn't want to golf, uh, they are welcome. Also, you can register at MSGA or mtbfoundation.org. And uh, if you have any questions, it's all that information is available for you there. So please just jump on the website and look there. If you are interested in also being a sponsor, uh, we would certainly welcome that. Uh, we have a lot of uh, sponsor opportunities. Uh, I'll just uh, have you reach out to our Montana Stock Grower Foundation Director, Jerry Dellis. And that is, uh, her email is jerry, J-E-R-I, at mtbeef.org. 
and she will get you set up with um, any questions or if you're interested in sponsor, she certainly can take care of those duties also. So it'll be a great event. It does help us raise money for the foundation and it's just a great cause, a great event. So once again, we hope you uh, put that on your calendar and come join us for a, a fun event. And if you're lucky, you get to see Jay drive the drink cart. So <laughs> double bonus. All right, let's hop into our interview for this week. Uh, this week, uh, we will be featuring uh, the state director of the Montana Dakotas BLM, John Mielhoff, um, who sat down with us to chat about all the activities going on uh, surrounding the BLM. Uh, I did want to note that this interview was recorded prior to the release of the um, APR request on July 1st. And so uh, when we're talking about that, it is um, in a future tense and now that has been released. So just wanted you to note that that was uh, recorded prior to July 1. Uh, And this is going to be a two-part series. We jam we had this interview jam packed with information. And so this will be part one. And then next week we will be uh, sharing part two with you. So here's John Mielhoff. Well, today I'd like to welcome our special guest. We have John Mielhoff with us. He is the state director for the Bureau of Land Management here in Montana. So welcome, John. Thanks, Jay. Glad to be here. We thought we might just start our interview with uh, just providing a little background on yourself and your time in BLM with our listeners. So I'll turn it over to you. Okay, I'd love to do that. I can't help but see you on camera here and see that photograph on the wall behind you. And, And I can't help but wonder if that's not some sort of family or, or association that you're close to that you have hanging there. Looks like an old historical photograph. Yeah, it is. It's actually from uh, one of our conventions in 1910 with the Montana Stalker Association. And it's uh, pretty impressive. Every single person in there is wearing a suit and tie. And it's, it's a neat old uh, historical photo. Very, very good. But, but it reminds me of roots, right? When I see photographs like that. So Jay, I'm, I'm originally from North Dakota. I grew up on a family farm in Garrison. That's in McLean County, almost dead center in the state. And um, it was my grandfather's homestead. And my brother, Michael, still operates that homestead. And it, it, it's always been a dry land grain farm and, and cattle operation. And it, it was then and it is today. So I'm very proud of the fact that that homestead remains in, in the Melhoff tradition and that it's currently being operated in a productive way. Um, those roots are important to me because being the state director of Montana uh, Dakotas is um, not unlike being in the agriculture business. Um, There's a lot of very important things that have to happen and occur. And there has to be a lot of observation about what's going on around you to be able to to do these jobs and and to do them as wisely as you, as you can, right. You're never perfect, but, but you strive to be. And, and I know Mike continues to do that on, on the ranch back home. Um, all that said, my, my career has been pretty, pretty robust. I've been lots of places. This is year 37, which is no small feat. Actually, this is year 38. I passed 37 in May. Uh, so this is year 38. Um, I started my career here in Billings, Montana as an engineer in our state office. I graduated Montana Tech in 1982, I have a petroleum engineering degree. 
So I'm a, a minerals guy at, at the core, but I also have this, this big agriculture upbringing that, that sort of is the foundation of who I am as an individual. And, and uh, that career started in Montana and it took me from Montana to Wyoming and from Wyoming out to uh, Washington, DC. The state director of Wyoming at the time had met me and, and, and liked me um, and had moved on to DC and he called and asked me to come back there. And so I just sort of thought, why not? And we dropped everything and we moved to Washington. And, and I spent a number of years back there. I worked, worked in our headquarters office on the main floor. Um, and it's important um, given current events of, of how it should be located and where it should be located. But in addition to working in our headquarters shop, I also worked on the assistant secretary staff. Uh, at the time it was Bob Armstrong and this is in the Clinton administration. And Mr. Armstrong was an amazing man, really, really talented guy. He was a Texan um, and um, he was known as the older brother of uh, President Clinton. And it was not unusual for the both of them to get together, go play golf and do things. Um, so, so there was this very close relationship and, and I enjoyed getting the exposure and experience working for someone that close to the, to the White House. So it was pretty cool. Uh, from there, I went up to the Hill and went to work for Senator Ted Stevens, Alaska, um, who was a very pow powerful figure in the US Senate at that time. And I was a legislative fellow working for him, um, which are fancy words for do whatever needs to be done person, uh, including, you know, writing speeches for him or meeting with uh, guests or giving tours of the Capitol, you know, all those things. And, and, and those were normal times. It was pre 9-11, right? So things weren't nearly as crazy as they are today in regard to what you can and can't do back there. So I've enjoyed all of those privileges in my career. Uh, from there, I left and went to Colorado as a field manager. And from Colorado, after, after that stint, I went to uh, the New Mexico organization and I managed all of our operations in Texas, Kansas, and Oklahoma as the district manager there. After that tenure, I came back to Colorado as the associate state director and, and enjoyed that privilege. The associate's job is the the business manager of the state. Teresa Hanley is my associate here and everything happened in the back room is handled by Teresa and thank God because she's so good and, and so talented that, that I rarely have a concern and, and uh, I confide in her and use her as a talented voice piece on almost everything that, that we do here in Montana, Dakotas. Um, following that, I was offered a job to join the senior executive service. That's a big deal. Um, it was in the department, but it was working for the Office of Natural Resources Revenue in Lakewood, Colorado. And there are only about 220 senior executives in all of the department, and there are 70,000 employees in DOI. So um, it's a small, unique group of people that I got the opportunity to join. And, and I took that opportunity, and that's now uh, eight years ago. So Following that, I, I never believed for a moment that the Montana Dakota State Director job would ever present itself for the rest of my career. But when it did, there was no way I was not going to uh, do everything I could to get this role. 
So, so I went after it and was fortunate to be selected to be the state director here. And it's an honor and a privilege to do it. And I'm, I'm happy to be here and happy to be serving you and all the other customers we have out there. Well, thanks, Director. I mean, that's nice that you started a big part of your career in Montana and you managed to be back into Montana. And it's uh, nice that you have some ag roots. I know that uh, we talk about that a lot when we when we do get the opportunity to sit down and visit with you because um, agriculture is just such a big part of the fabric and economy in Montana also. And and it's nice to be able to have those ties when we have some of those discussions that, you know, certainly impact the, the ranching industry in Montana. Yeah, I, th thank you for that, Jay. I, you know, it is, a, it is a pride. Anybody coming out of an agriculture family, you know, has these exposures and experiences. And, and uh, for good or bad, we, we get our perspectives pretty, pretty set uh, as we come out, come out of those families and go off on our own. So uh, I'd like to think that, that that experience has helped me a great deal trying to make smart, grounded decisions here. Great. Well, let's jump into some of the um, issues that your um, agency is working on right now. Um, unfortunately, it's top of mind of many people, but drought and fire are definitely something folks are talking about and thinking about. So talk to us a little bit about what BLM um, has put in place for drought and fire for this summer or for this season and how it may be affecting our permittees moving into the future. Yeah, really, th thank you for that. So um, these unfortunate cycles come and go. I can remember not many years ago, it was too wet, too wet even to get crops out of the field. And now we're so dry, we're worried about germination of, plant or of crops in the ground. Um, really a significantly difficult thing, but, but it is what it is and it's here now. Um, so in, in the Bureau of Land Management, obviously, and of course we can't do anything about it, except to be as proactive as we can to make sure that we're trying to manage our way through it as best way possible. And that is impossible if we go it alone. It only becomes possible because of the extraordinary relationship we have with the permittees in Montana, Dakotas. Those relationships have been um, developed over years uh, of working one-on-one -on -one with our field offices and our range staff and our other ecology experts. And, and those relationships um, help us when we get down to the difficult choices and decisions we have as it pertains to managing through a drought. There's not enough grass out there or likely won't be enough grass out there to do what we all had planned to do going into this season. So, when we're talking to operators about this, this is not a surprise. They're also thinking about, you know, how are we going to do this? There's not going to be enough grass for the numbers we have. How can we adjust? Can we find more acreages? Do we continue to feed? All of those questions come into the economics of the decisions they have to make. But on our side, we are, we, we are pride, we take pride in the fact that, that we have these relationships and Working with operators is our choice to try and find the solution to this. So uh, many of our field offices have sent drought letters 
those drought letters said, hey, telling you stuff you already know, but, but we're likely gonna have to make some adjustments going forward. And it is rare where we don't have a ranch manager talking to us about, yeah, we see that too. And, and we're taking and making these adjustments and will those be adequate for you? Uh, we don't wanna harm range conditions beyond our ability to recover. And we are, we are blessed with that sort of approach to how we solve this problem. Um, we also try and stay as flexible and nimble, I'll use that word, as nimble as we can, because I don't know when it's gonna start raining. Maybe it'll start raining next week, right? And if it does, there's still some recovery opportunity out there. We'll put more grass on the ground and we can put more beef on the ground to accommodate that. But everything we look at, all of our uh, climate ecologists and, and predictions tell us that it's gonna be tough and it's gonna be a hard year and it's not gonna get better um, with very few exceptions. And there's not much we can do except help work with them to uh, reduce numbers and make changes in, in scheduling and those sorts of things to accommodate you know, a bad situation and not make it worse. On the fire side, this question had a fire component to it as well. Mm -hmm. We have, we've, we have predictive modeling that, that our meteorologists do. Um, that predictive modeling uh, also shows trends that are not good, right? We anticipate and predict above average uh, fire activity in the state. Um, of course, if you have fuels on the ground, which the drought oddly helps with, and not as much grass is not as much fire, right? But, but um, we have... We have that predictive modeling telling us that it's going to be it's going to be sporty this year. So we have we have all of our um, firefighting resources ready to go. So we have all of our engines and and water tenders and aircraft um, all pre-planned and ready to go. We we don't currently have a fire going in the state that I'm aware of, unless we had some lightning strikes over the weekend that picked up some smolders or fires, but. Anything that we've had so far has been small and manageable. Um, our objective this year is to attack, 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 which means that if we become aware of a fire, we're going to jump on it. Uh, we don't want fires to get large and unmanageable where we have to have extended attack teams. Um, but that said, that's nearly an impossible goal. It's highly likely, given the right conditions out there, that we will have a fire that we can't stop in its early stages and it'll get cooking and and we'll have you know significant fire issue that we'll have to bring it extended attack teams on and and try and put it out and mostly protect special places people um, you know homes uh, infrastructure things like that and and unfortunately we think and we predict that this year will be very much like that again Director, on the fire department, on the fire side of things, it seems like there's getting to be better coordination with the local fire departments, the local volunteer. And is that kind of what your teams are seeing out on the ground also, or, or how do you see that relationship working? Yeah, Jay, thank, thank you for um, pointing me in that direction. So let me just come out of the gate saying, if it weren't for local fire departments, we would struggle mightily. Those partnerships are extremely important 
fires are closest resources oriented all the time, right? If there's a fire on the ground, the closest resource has the best chance of catching that fire before it goes. We don't have resources in every town in Montana or Dakotas. It's not possible for us. But every town in Montana probably has a fire department of some nature or nearly everyone. And we have relationships with those people that matter hugely. Um, our primary concern about that is that everything is done safely. And we know that uh, local fire departments are very well trained in this modern day and, and that they understand wildfire objectives and, and how to fight a fire effectively and safely without getting personnel in difficult positions. Uh, and we couldn't be more grateful for that. We also, we also train. We have a large training component as part of our fire program where we, we train lots and lots and lots of uh, local fire departments and personnel. And, and we also share equipment. We continue to share engines as we outsource engines. Um, we provide them to local communities. We've done that for many years. We have more engines this year that we're going to uh, pass on to local fire departments. Those engines might be uh, older, but they are certainly purposeful and, and ready to roll uh, when we share them. And we're very grateful for the ability to do that. Um, and we're grateful for all of those men and women out there who um, risk themselves as they perform these volunteer services in the fire world. Well, once again, we'd like to thank uh, the state director, John Milhoff, for joining us today and providing information on the BLM. Um, it's great to hear a little bit about just the wide variety of issues that the BLM works on. And uh, it was a great opportunity to hear. So once again, I'd uh, just like to thank everybody for joining us uh, this week. We'd also like to uh, thank you for joining us and remind you to subscribe to The Rancher's Voice. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Make sure to like, share, and comment on each episode. And join our text messaging by texting BEEF to 855-965-4006. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody.